0: Whatever you're bringing to the table today, I hope this episode proves to be a dose of inspiration for you on your quest to become a well-cared-for human. You can find the episode show notes, your free wellness blueprint, and more at a wellcaredforhuman.com. And as always, thank you for listening. Hello humans, it's your host Corey and today we're going to talk about tight spaces. And of course, I don't mean literal tight spaces. I'm talking about mental tight spaces. We could also think of this as a contraction of the mind. Something happens, maybe it's something big and dramatic like a death, or our partner asking for a divorce, or our child or dear friend becomes injured or ill. But more likely and more often when we encounter these contractions, this tightening of the mind, it's when small things happen. Someone says something that strikes a nerve, someone aggravates us, someone was inconsiderate or insulting. The day just isn't going our way. The triggers will vary from person to person, but the pattern is the same. Something happens and the mind contracts. There are many benefits that come along with becoming skilled at recognizing when our mind contracts. If we can catch ourselves at the moment of contraction, we can slow the moment down. We can make sure we don't speak or act out of anger or another strong emotion. We can work to dissolve the unhealthy patterns that are keeping us stuck and making us miserable. And at this crucial moment in the cycle, we can make room for the opportunity to do something different, to free ourselves. Because when we're in tight spaces, that's when we do the habitual thing, the instinctive thing. Whatever the unhealthy habit is, some of mine including binge eating or shame spirals, or criticizing myself or someone else, being sarcastic or bitchy, we do these things because we're in a tight space. We feel our metaphoric shoulders up against the wall and we do whatever we think will push us out of the corner as quickly as possible. Except usually we end up damaging ourselves or our relationships because we don't yet realize that we control the walls. We decide where they go, how close or how far away they are from us. We don't have to push away the person in front of us. We could push away the wall. So I'll start by talking about my experience with tight spaces things that I've done to help me build awareness when I need to recognize that I'm in a tight space, how to catch it more quickly, and I hope to give you some options of things that you could try when you find yourself in a tight space and how you can regain control over the walls around you. My experience with tight spaces is generous, plentiful. I have encountered tight spaces quite a lot. This isn't uncommon for people who have been traumatized in any way, people with deep emotional wounds, If you can imagine the psyche as an open wound and every time it's touched, which is very easy to do if you have trauma, the walls will come rushing in. Surprisingly for me, it's usually the small things that set me off. I don't know if this is true for everyone or most people because I've become so conditioned to crisis that in big moments where real danger is present, I become very focused, I'm very calm, My mind is a lovely organized place all of a sudden, even though it wasn't 20 seconds before. Meanwhile, if something less than dramatic happens, I'm suddenly tripping over the smallest of hurdles. I can burst into tears. It honestly doesn't make a ton of sense to me. So most of my experience with tight spaces, oddly, is with minor incursions. For me, for a long time, it was criticism. I was very sensitive to any kind of criticism, but especially criticism about my body, or my intelligence, or my efficacy as a human being, because these were the aspects of my personality, of my being that my father most often attacked. But these contractions weren't always caused by verbal attacks, and I shouldn't call them attacks because a lot of it is unconscious. There are absolutely a lot of people out there who want to insult us, but most of the time we get upset because people say something unconsciously, and they have no idea that they've upset us. Or we're saying horrible things to ourselves, and we don't realize that that's the dialogue going on in the back of our minds. Back when I was still struggling with my eating disorder, I could smell sugar, something sweet, and that would trigger a desire to binge eat. So it wasn't always a verbal trigger, either, that made the walls contract. I could catch sight of myself in the mirror and not be 100% satisfied with what I saw. And then I was spiraling down the path of distress, getting upset so quickly, that I don't understand why I'm crying or I'm bitching at someone and have no idea how I even got there. So it'll be unique to each person. What triggers you, what creates a tight space in your mind, that will be unique. And how you act when you're in the tight space will also be unique. Some of us will act out of anger, some of us will fall apart. And this is why it's so important to build awareness. In Buddhism, there's this metaphor of armor. There's this idea that in order to protect ourselves, most of us have put on armor. But you're not supposed to wear armor all of the time. So the skin underneath becomes infected. It becomes covered in oozing sores. And the only way to heal those sores is to take off the armor. And the only problem with that is we're the only ones who know how we put it on. We're the only ones who can figure out how to take the armor off. All of the things that we do to protect ourselves, only we know what little tricks and games we're playing in our minds to do that. So figuring out what triggers you, figuring out how to relax in the face of your triggers, developing confidence in your ability to withstand whatever comes your way, all of this amounts to learning how to take off your armor and to get some sunlight on those wounds. So one way that has helped me work with removing my armor is awareness. This could be any mindfulness practice, and there are a ton of great books out there about developing mindfulness in our day-to-day lives, and of course I will include some in the show notes. It could also be awareness meditation, which you might have heard me mention before, but in addition to sitting down on your cushion for 20 to 30 minutes a day and observing your thoughts, acknowledging them, letting them go, getting a good look at what's going on in there, there's also a simplified version that I like to use throughout the day. And all I do is I just stop and notice my breath, and I just see what I'm thinking. And this can be done for literal seconds. A few seconds here, a few seconds there, until I've done it about 10 times throughout the day. I just stop, I take a breath, and I say, what am I thinking? And then I try to capture that last thought that passed through me, or I just look at what's passing through my mind now. Awareness is so important because often when we're triggered, the chain reaction is very quick. Trigger reaction. Awareness helps us build up space between the trigger and the reaction. Even if we only buy ourselves a few seconds, a few seconds is better than nothing. We can work with a few seconds. Learning to pay attention to our thoughts, to the sensations in our body, anything that will clue us in to something happening, a hint that we've been triggered, it's very useful, because sometimes the mind can't string two words together. But unless you're dealing with a lot of numbness in your body, the body can tell you when something is going on. If someone says something and you feel like you've been socked in the gut, or someone says something and red-hot anger floods through you, then the body is letting you know that your space has contracted. So learning to pay attention to the body, learning to listen to the mind to see what we're thinking, these clues can be subtle, but they're a great way to practice raising our awareness. And one pivotal moment for me was when I realized that I control the walls. For a very long time, I thought I had no control whatsoever over the walls, the walls being a metaphor for my emotions. They were huge, and they felt incredibly strong, and they would crash over me in these pounding waves. And if anyone had tried to convince me that my emotions and my thoughts only have as much power as I give them, I would have thought they were crazy. And even if I had believed them, it still would have felt like a judgment. I would have heard something like, Corey, you should be able to control your emotions, and if you can, it's because you're weak but that's not what I'm saying. So I hope that's not what anybody is hearing. I only want people to feel empowered and to recognize the freedom and possibility that lies in knowing you're not helpless. You have agency and options when it comes to working with difficult emotions. You do control the walls, but the strength and resistance of those walls depends entirely by how much you believe in your thoughts and emotions, how much power you give them over you. If someone tells you that you're an ugly loser, and you believe it, then it will be a powerful thought that creates powerful emotions in you. So all that I'm asking for is that when it comes to working with tight spaces, don't believe that you're stuck. Don't believe that you have no options. Or that when you scream and cry and freak out and do the compulsive unhealthy thing, don't believe that you have no choice. You might need support, and you might not yet have the skills to stop doing those things, but you can absolutely learn how to do it with practice and a whole lot of patience and time. But it starts with no longer believing that we're trapped, that we're powerless. It starts by believing that we control the walls. And again, it's not helpful to bring judgment to these moments, don't do what I would do, and say mean things to myself like, I'm awful, why can't I do better? Why can't I be better? Why can't I control myself? I really must be as weak as he thinks I am. Don't do that. Don't take that from other people and don't take it from yourself. Bring a lot of self-love and compassion to these moments by remembering that people bring their walls in tight. They bring them in really close because they're trying to protect themselves. All you're doing is trying to protect yourself and that's not a bad thing. We have these walls because we've been hurt, because someone has broken our heart or used us or abused us. So we bring in the walls to offer a bit of protection and support. The only problem is is that we also trap ourselves when we do this. We limit our own movements, and our own options, and our own power. It's an understandable reaction, building walls and bringing those walls close. But it's not a helpful one. So when we're ready, we can learn how to give ourselves more room to live and to exist, which is what we deserve. So how do we regain control over our walls and give ourselves more space? Again, it starts with believing that you do have control. It also starts with building the awareness I mentioned so that we can notice when the walls are contracting, so we can experience that contraction in real time and catch it because the more we're able to build space between trigger and reaction, the more time we can give ourselves to do something different and to break the bad habits and unhealthy patterns. And then anything else we can do to slow that moment down will be helpful. Take a breath, label our thoughts. Stating the obvious sounds really simple, but it's effective. If you say, I am getting upset, to yourself, or what she said made me angry, to yourself, it brings a bit of objectivity and distance to the moment. Curiosity also helps me. I have used curiosity like a judo move more times than I can count. To trigger my curiosity, I might say something like, I wonder why she's saying this to me. I wonder what I can learn about my own triggers and my own weaknesses right now in this conversation. I could also ask myself, is that true? whatever she's saying, is that accurate? Because again, we do not need to accept every thought or feeling that we have as if it's gospel. There is a lot of misinformation out there in the world, and that includes some of the crap flitting around through our own minds. So question what you think, question what you hear. And in addition to labeling thoughts and emotions and breathing through it, using curiosity to widen the space, it might help to think in advance about what you're going to do instead of what you usually do. This again requires an awareness of what your common triggers are. So for example, once I became aware of the fact that I was binge eating as a way to deal with feelings of shame and overwhelm and a lack of control, it wasn't like I could just say, oh yeah, I guess I won't do that anymore. (laughs) That's not realistic. That's not what healing looks like. Healing is messy. We try things and we fail. So instead what I did was I made a plan for when those feelings come up again, what was I going to do instead of buying a sheet cake or a dozen donuts? What could I do instead? What will I reach for next time? And the answer to that question is going to change for you. It's going to be different every time. You'll find that some things are effective and other things don't help you at all. It will be a gradual deprogramming. So for me, I tried to take it step by step in order to break the habit of my binge eating. First, I kept binging, but not on sweets. I would just pick something healthier, like fruit, like a whole bag of oranges, which is not great on the stomach, but it was better than sticking a whole cake down my throat. Then it was moving on from not eating, but journaling until the strong emotions pass, or affirming until it passed, or taking a long, hot shower. Anything I could do to interrupt the momentum of the moment gave me space to let the emotion burn itself out, kind of fizzle out. I always had great success with doing something new and unexpected in order to disrupt the momentum. All right, that's all I've got for tight spaces. And if you're still curious about the subject of tight spaces, you can research it more. It's called emotional reactivity, or you could look at how mindfulness and awareness meditation practices work and how they might be useful for you. If you're looking for a more spiritual approach to this kind of work, this idea is closely related to Shinpa, S H. E-N-P-A, which is something that Pima often talks about, Pima children in her books, and it's a concept that comes from Buddhism. So again, I'll put some of the suggested reading in the show notes for you if you're looking for more resources. And as always, I want to thank you so much for listening, and I will be back next week. And until then, please take good care of yourself. This episode of A Well-Cared-For-Human was written and produced by me, Cory Marie. The music was by Late Night Feeler and Esther Abrami. If you like what I'm doing here, please consider visiting my Patreon. For as little as a dollar a month, you get early ad-free access to the episodes, as well as a monthly patrons-only Q&A, bonus videos, and more. Not to mention that your Patreon support lets me know that you find value in the show and want it to continue. You can find me on Patreon by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash If you can't support the show financially, that is okay. You can still subscribe to the show, leave a review of the show, and recommend the show to your friends, not just the neurotic ones. All of this helps so much. And as always, thank you for listening.